Amen. Church family, let's continue to worship as we open uh, God's Word together. If you have your Bible with you, if you join me in Luke chapter 1, we'll be in verses 57 through 80 in our, our time uh, in, in the Word this morning, where we will consider joy in the prophecy fulfilled in Jesus. This Christmas season, this Advent season, we as a church are considering the good news of great joy that is given to us. We've seen it in the promise of Jesus that was given uh, specifically to, to Mary, and then we've seen that in the promise of Jesus that was given uh, to many. And then today we want to consider um, all the, the prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus, in his coming, in his birth, in his living, and how for us there is joy in that fulfillment because it was our hearts that were won by the, the birth and life and sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Prophecy is a word perhaps in today's time and terms is a little curious or maybe even a little weird. When we see prophecy in the Bible, what it's referring to is, is what and how God has communicated to his people and through his people. And we know that the Old Testament in so many ways is pointing, the arrow is pointing to the birth of Christ. That the birth of Jesus was God's plan from the beginning. And so today we want to use that and see that and highlight who God is and who God has been uh, throughout history as we consider the joy that we have in the prophecy that is fulfilled in Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin. God, would you... God, open our, our hearts, God, open our minds to see the good news of great joy that has been given to us in Jesus. Father, as we enter into this truth again, God, would you give us in our hearts a, a new and fresh understanding of your mercy, God, that calls us, God, that invites us into the redemption story that is accomplished, God, through your Son, and through our Savior. So, Father, help us to see that. Help us to sense that. God, captivate our hearts, we pray, by that truth. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our narrative today, we've been walking through Luke chapter 1, and in our narrative today, it goes back to the story of John the Baptist, of Elizabeth and Zechariah. And we know that in their own right, the details of this story are fascinating because you see there are very specific details for very specific people in a very specific plan. And the important reminder for us is that the most insignificant people play a very significant role in God's plans to fulfill his purposes. We see that today in this text. We see that today in our own hearts and in our own lives. And the reality of this is this truth is fixed in and it is fixed on God's Mercy, And so in our text today, we see the, the mercy of God referenced in three different ways and three different verses. And so we'll kind of follow that pattern of the text to see how the birth of Jesus for us is a reminder of the mercy that God has given to us. And so we begin by seeing the prophecies fulfilled in Jesus provide for us a snapshot of God's personal mercy to us. We see that in verses 57 through 66. I'll read those verses if you'll follow along with me. It says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, 
They came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, But none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear, verse 65, and fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. See, in God's plan, he gives very specific details to the unlikely and the undeserving. It's true for Zechariah. It's true for Elizabeth. It's true for John the Baptist. It's true throughout history. It's true throughout Scripture. It's true in your heart and in your life. And it's true in our text today that every single detail, every single piece uh, of the plan that, that God had made, that Gabriel had foretold, was being fulfilled in these verses. And we see that this is a very personal thing for Elizabeth and Zechariah. The details that Gabriel gave to them were not just commonplace. They weren't just random. They were personal and real to them. We see and are reminded of that in this story that there is nothing that is wasted with God because this personal way in which this mercy was revealed to God came true in verse 58 in such a way that the neighbors and relatives knew as they looked upon this story, as they watched it unfold, that the neighbors and relatives knew that God had done this. And we see this is the way that, 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 that God works. This is the way that God puts details of stories together that when people observe them and watch them and learn from them, the takeaway for us in our own hearts is that surely, surely God has done this the testimony that we share. I think one of the joys of pastoring a church for a longer tenure, the longer you're here, the, the more you get to hear these pictures and snapshots of the testimony of what God has done throughout his people, throughout a particular church over the course of years and years and years and years. And for us, that's true. God does do amazing things. But one of the fascinating pieces of this text is the way in which the personal story, the personal mercy that was given to uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah was known throughout the community. It gives us the implication that they possessed, Elizabeth possessed in her heart, a communal faith, that these things that she was given in her heart, she lived out among her neighbors and her relatives. Because the implication would be, how in the world could you rejoice at something that you do not know? And what we see in the text of Scripture, as this was unfolding, as this personal story, this personal mercy that God had given to Zechariah and to Elizabeth, as this was unfolding, it's almost like they were sitting around the living room with great anticipation in their hearts, awaiting that particular phone call. Now, they didn't have phones back then, but like they knew that this was about to un uh, unravel and unfold, and that for them was great joy within them. So every single detail of their plan, the, the barrenness, 
of Elizabeth, the birth of John the Baptist, the circumcision on the eighth day, the calling by the name that Gabriel told them to call them, demonstrates how personal God's mercy is. And look how Elizabeth and Zechariah respond to this. Verse 58, they rejoiced with her. You see, as this was coming true, it was met by a heart that was ready to rejoice. And in that rejoicing, in verse 59 through 66, we see their obedience. We see them living out what Gabriel had told them, what God through Gabriel had told them to do. Zechariah and Elizabeth did what Gabriel had said. If we trace the story of Zechariah back to the beginning, chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, that moment of disbelief in which he was no longer able to, to speak, that moment of disbelief, we fast forward quite a few verses, was met by his blessing of verse 64. That we see immediately his tongue was loosed. Dr. Luke, the, the author of this book, uses a medical term here. And the medical term implies that this was not a medical event. That his tongue being loosed was not a medical thing, it was a miraculous thing. That God stepped into his story and performed this miracle within him that allowed him to speak. And what was the first thing that Zechariah said? Verse 64, blessing. Think of our own hearts. Like in moments when God calls us to wait, when God withholds something that we think we deserve, such as our voice. Like think of the moment that switch gets flipped. I would like to think I know myself better, but my first word would probably be, finally, right? But what does Zachariah say? He says, no, 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 blessing. You see, he understands on this part of the story how personal this is for him. And that Zachariah played a small role in what God was doing and saying to the hearts of his people. And what does he say in this moment? He celebrates that there's blessing there. And he interjects into what appears to be, from the text, a generally confusing place. Like, why are you naming him John? You don't have a relative named John. He should bear his father's name. He should be Zechariah. And what Elizabeth and Zechariah both affirm, like, no, 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 his name is John. Regardless of what the family around them said, regardless of what their neighbors and friends said, and all the confusion, like, why are you naming him this? They were clear that they were going to obey what God had told them to do. One commentary in this particular text, and I think it's a helpful reminder, shows that this is a picture, a biblical picture, that your extended family does not always know what's best. It's a picture here, like they had to do what Gabriel had called them to do, what God had entrusted them to do. It did not matter what their friends said. It did not matter what their family said, because they had received this personal mercy, and they lived that out in personal obedience to God. It's a beautiful picture. From the very beginning, verse 58, the Lord had shown great mercy to the end. In verse 66, for the hand of the Lord was with them. We see God writes stories that highlight his personal presence. Think about that truth in your own heart. Think about that truth in your own life. The way that God has written your story. The good times, the bad times. The challenging times, the times of celebration. God writes stories that highlights his 
presence with his people. God has always worked in a way that cultivates within us this desire for intimacy with him. And the promise, Emmanuel, is what? God with us. I love the way the psalmist captures this in Psalm 139. It says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. In Jesus, in the birth of Jesus, we are reminded that there is a personal mercy that has been given to us in Jesus in which gives us his final and forever presence for the good days and the bad days, the challenging days and the beautiful days that God is with us. This is who he is. This is what he does. And this is how he works. And all of it, all of it is a picture of his mercy to you. In the details of your life, in the frustrating things in your life, in the heartbreak of your life, every detail is a picture that God is a merciful God. We're reminded of this in the way that this story plays out and the highlight of God's mercy in the birth of John the Baptist and, and the prophecies that are foretold. But we see that this is a personal mercy, but it's also a, a promised mercy. Look at verse 67 through 75. This mercy we received is the promised mercy throughout generations. Verse 67 says this, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Verse 72, to show what? The mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his covenant, his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Zechariah being filled with the Holy Spirit, he transitions here from the role of priest to that of prophet and stands and begins prophesying in front of those gathered. And he begins connecting some very powerful theological truths here. If you have some time this afternoon or this evening, go back in this text and just trace all of the footnotes that are listed or mentioned here. See all of the things that God is doing or has done or will do. Because what we see here is that there's a rich history. And look at verse 68. Zechariah connects it here. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. You see, these are not just random details that are falling into place for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah understands that all this is happening in such a way that the Lord God of Israel will receive blessing. And he begins speaking on the truth, the coming baby that would be born of the virgin who came to visit his beloved wife and stay there for months would be the promised Messiah. And in that reality, look what happens. Verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for what? He has done two things. He has visited Israel 
and he has redeemed his people. See, God in the form of his son would come and he would visit his people, but in his visitation, he came for a purpose, and that purpose was redemption. Or to accomplish salvation is what that word means. That that this promised son of God, the one who'd been promised from old, all throughout the Old Testament, was coming, and he was coming to visit his people and to accomplish salvation for his people. In the gospel, we see the redemption of God. And it's probably not fair or right to say that you have a favorite piece of the gospel. But for me, God's redemption is one of my favorite aspects of who he is and what he does. Like the, the reality, as one of our children's Bibles at home says, that Jesus came to make all of the sad things in the world become untrue. Like that he came and, and, and he steps into brokenness. Like we realize, like when all this messed up, when Adam and Eve sinned and, and, and began the fall and, and, and that whole season of, of sin entering into the world and separating them from right relationship with God, like at that moment, God in all righteousness and in all justice could have just wiped away humanity and the earth and he could have just started over. He could have said, well, you had your chance and you blew it, so I'm just moving on from you. But what we see in Jesus, in the birth of Jesus, is that he came and he chose redemption. He, he chose to take the broken pieces of the world. A little more personal. He, he chose to take the broken pieces of your life. And through the birth, life, death, and resurrection of his son, he chose to step into them. He didn't run away from them. He's not scared of them. Doesn't matter how hard you're trying to hide them, he knows them, and he wants to step into them because he's the only one that can take those broken things and bring them back together and to make them whole. That's what he came to do, that even before the cross, in the foretold birth of God's son, we see mercy that would come through him. And it's the same mercy that has been promised to us from generation to generation to generation. Zechariah calls it in the prophets of old. I'm not sure if he's calling the prophets old or just calling them from old. But either way, all that they were saying, everything they were saying is coming true in these moments in the birth of Jesus. Zechariah remembers this promise in the words of the psalmist, and says that they would raise a horn of salvation from his servant, David. I know you've, many of you have grown up in church. You've been in Sunday school a long time. You know, think through the different ways that horns are used in the Old Testament. They're a sign of, of strength. There's, they, they, they are what they were. Uh, it's an instrument that was blown after victory to, to celebrate victory. It was what held the anointing oil that God's people would use to anoint the next king of Israel. And what Zechariah is saying, all of those things, the victory, the anointing, the strength is coming true in the birth of Jesus. That God has spoken to show the mercy that was promised to our fathers. Promised to our fathers. We make a lot of promises, don't we? If we're honest, we're not too good at keeping them. 
even with the best motives and best intentions from Christmas presents to doing things to not doing things you should do, like all of the promises. What we see in, in, in the birth of Jesus is God doesn't make empty promises. And when God makes a promise, he keeps his promise. And that's what Zechariah is saying here, is this mercy that we are about to receive in the birth of Jesus is the mercy that has been foretold for years, for centuries, across geographic regions, across, across the different hearts of people into your heart and into your home. God will not and does not forget his promises. That's one of the things I think we might accidentally miss sometimes at Christmas, that the incarnation, that the birth of Jesus is for us a reminder that all the prophecies, all the promises come true in Jesus. That in his birth, as miraculous as it was, in this place, in in him, like in that reality, we are shown mercy, that God in his grace would send his son for us, his perfect son, but his promised son. See, God had this within him before the foundation of the world, that his son would enter into this world through the womb of a virgin, and that he would walk the face of this earth in perfection. He would be crucified and die in all humility and in all humiliation. And he would be resurrected from the grave in victory. And he would accomplish all of this, not just because he said he would, because he said he would, and he said he would do it for you. You see, it's the beauty of this season that God works through prophets, through priests, through kings, and he does so in a way to reveal his promised mercy, that God in Christ has done what he said that he would do. And so then our faith as Christians as his children, our, our faith is in a promise-keeping God. And Zechariah is a beautiful demonstration of what this looks like. You see, because he is demonstrating belief, yes, in the person of God, but also in the promises of God. You see, the, it's the promises of God that are the source of faith, hope, and belief. That yes, we believe our Savior was, was born of a virgin and that's what we celebrate at, at Christmas. But that belief is not absent from the belief in what he came to do and what he came to accomplish and the power that he leaves his people in the church filled with the Holy Spirit. And so you see, we believe in the person and in the promises of God. And so our invitation into faith is in the promise of God and his promise of mercy to you that God in Christ was giving you mercy that he had promised to give his people. It's personal for you. It's promised to you. And all this comes together in a beautiful way in verses 76 through 80 to show us that God's mercy is perfect. Zechariah, look at this verse 76. Zechariah says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Verse 78, because of the what? Tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high 
to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Verse 80, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Zechariah, after he had just connected some of these major messianic prophecies in the birth of Jesus, looks into the eye of his eight-day-old son and says, And you, my child, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. And you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of his salvation and the forgiveness of sin. But looking into his baby's eyes, he said, this is not because of you. No, 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 it's because of the tender mercy of our God. As if God's mercy is not enough. Just think of it in the context of that adjective. Tenderness the affection, the compassion, the depth. Many of you know, if you've cooked anything or grilled anything, the greatest flavor in the world is lost quickly in toughness, right? There's nothing worse in the world than an overcooked steak, right? Why? Because it doesn't matter how you season it, how you grill it, how you cook it. If it's tough, you're just chewing it for 15 minutes. You're tired of tasting it. But the picture here is that God's mercy is not tough. It's tender. It's palatable for us. It's soft and compassionate. See, God's mercy is not just present. It's tender. You see, in the birth of Jesus, God's gift of mercy is not just some divine transaction that he makes. It's a gift of his heart. He gives that to us in a tenderness and a fatherly affection. Many of y'all know, I'll never forget the first time that I held our girls. Now, it wasn't in the context of a hospital room, but you know the way your heart feels as a father looking into the eyes of your child for the first time. And you see, it's that sort of tenderness that Zechariah looks upon John the Baptist and all that God has promised John will do and it's with that fatherly affection that he says, and it's not because of you that this will take place. It's because your father has given you a mercy that is tender, that's soft, that's real. But look at what, verse, or look at what God's tender mercy does in verse 78. It causes the sunrise to visit us from on high. Verse 79, it gives light to those who sit in Darkness. You see, it's the fulfillment of Isaiah 9, that those who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. And in verse 39, it's that tender mercy that guides them into peace. This captures the heart of the child of God, that those that have embraced the tender mercy of God, the picture here is that the mercy of God has shone upon them like the sunrise from on high, that it has warmed the cold parts of their Heart, that it has illuminated the dark pieces of their path, and in so doing, it guides them into peace. Is your heart described that way? Like the way that your heart 
feels about the mercy of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God? Does it feel the warmth of his son? For you, is his mercy a source of light to you? Does it guide you? Does it direct you? Because Zechariah looks into the eyes of his eight-day-old son and says, my son, my beloved son, this is what God has called you to. You see, this tiny baby boy had a big part to play in God's plan, to, to highlight, to illuminate, to prepare the way of the Lord and to prepare the way for people to receive God's tender mercy that he would give to us in the form of his son. So for us this morning, as tiny, as insignificant that you may seem or you may feel, the promise that we have in Jesus is that you are a perfect part of God's perfect plan. And it's not because you had anything to offer God. It's because of God's tender mercy towards you. So we see a picture, we see a testimony of God's perfect mercy in the fulfillment of God's plans and purposes. That God had orchestrated this plan and he set it into action and in faithful obedience, the people of God submit all that they are, regardless of how big they feel or small they feel, regardless of how much they feel like they have a lot to offer or nothing to offer, that God in his mercy gives us his son. And that is the significance that we have to offer him. And God looks upon his mercy and he loves us. He redeems us. He, he calls us and he uses us. And if we go back a few verses, we see how this plays out. All of this, all the prophecies fulfilled in Jesus are so and because that God has visited and God has redeemed his people. So this, this Christmas, when we celebrate the incarnation of the Son of God, that he would be born and would take on flesh, it is a reminder for us that God both visits and he redeems his people. For us in our hearts today, verse 78 and, and 79 remind us that God's tender mercy is available. If you turn from your sin this morning, turn to Jesus as your Savior, his, the promise in this scripture is that he desires to come and to deliver you and to redeem you. And you can receive, you can accept this invitation into his family, but it is an invitation that is based upon faith, is received in faith and given in faith. That you can be adopted into his family is what the Bible teaches by turning to him in faith this morning. And this redemption that we speak of, this promise that we speak of, this perfect mercy, personal mercy for you that we speak of this morning can be yours by grace, through faith. For those of us who've, who've made that decision, the good news for us this morning is this, that God has done what he said that he would do. And that's enough. That God has done what he said that he would do, that he has kept his promises, that he has given us his mercy by sending his son to deliver, to visit, and to redeem his people. 
And you see, it's this Christ that we worship at Christmas is the one who came to redeem us from our sin. So as we close today, as we reflect upon this text, as we allow this text to to mold and shape our hearts, may we remember what he has done for us in giving us a personal mercy, a promised mercy, and a perfect mercy. None of it we deserved, but it is God unrolling and telling the story of our lives in a way that he's showing that he has not changed. And he is a God who will gather and redeem his people because that's what he has set out to do from the very beginning of time. And he's entrusted that to us. And so today, as we close, as we respond, the invitation is to either turn to your Redeemer for the first time or to return to your Redeemer and recognize that this is what God has done for us in giving us his Son. He has accomplished this for us. And we rightly respond and worship unto him. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, our our hearts sometimes are captivated by the familiarity of these stories. God, the, the story of the birth of your son. And God, in so doing, we read it and we reread it. And sometimes we miss the meaningful moments within it. And so, Father, as we respond to you today, I pray that you would, within our hearts, just cause our hearts to pause, to remember and reflect on the mercy that you have given to us in the birth of your Son. God, it's personal to us because we receive it personally. God, it is promised to us, Father, because we recognize we stand in a long line of faithful people who lived in obedience unto you. And God, it is perfect, God, not because we are, but because you are. And God, you entered into the world to make broken things in our hearts and in our lives whole again. And so, Father, because that's true, we remember, and God, we celebrate your mercy. And we're thankful, Father, for the season in which we can remember the redemption that was accomplished for us Yes, on the cross of Christ, but God, that the, the birth and life that paved his way there. And so, Lord Jesus, as we respond, we pray that we would do so with open hands and open hearts, inviting you, God, to, to refresh us, to renew us, to challenge us, and to shape us more and more into your image and likeness, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you-